for spending uh, these four weeks running up to Christmas examining uh, some of the key moments in uh, the run-up to Jesus' birth. And we're looking specifically at some of those episodes from Luke 1 and Luke 2. Luke is one of the gospel writers who wrote uh, about the life and ministry of Jesus. And um, so we're going to be concentrating on Luke. And so last week, Tim opened up for us and shared from the first part. Uh, And we saw last week the angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah and predicting uh, and announcing the coming of um, John the Baptist. So what I hope to do today, and my aim, my, my prayer for this morning, is that all of us, all of us will grow in joy and faith as the Spirit of God points us to Jesus Christ. That's what I hope for every week. But it just seems to be that this particular passage that we've read um, will, will point us very, very clearly in that direction. And so that is what I hope and pray will, will happen for us. Foundation Church Belfast, um, we say that we are gospel-centered, meaning we're all about Jesus. Um, we are, we are, we are spirit-empowered, meaning we are, we are relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit to energize us as we, as we engage on mission for him. And indeed, we are not doing that as individuals. We are a community on mission. We, we do this together as a group, um, going out to spread and, and, and model the good news of Jesus. And so um, we see here in this um, particular text um, what the Holy Spirit does to two women, in the, in the experience of two women, and, and their growth in joy and faith. And so I, what I'm hoping is that as we engage with God's word and as we, we, we allow that to, to make a difference and allow it to sink down, that we too will grow in joy and faith as we, we get to understand what's, what's going on. Um, Advent is, 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 that, is that, that festive period running up to Christmas. And it's all about <coughs> expectation. Um, in Advent... It's, we could say it's pregnant with expectation of what, what, what God has done through Jesus Christ. And, and traditionally, the church has, has, has taken it as a time to prepare itself for the celebration of Jesus uh, coming to earth um, as a human being. Um, and and we'll, we'll spend some time looking at that just now. But it's the sense of hoping um, as we come to that celebration of longing for Jesus. And so we see that in this text, this sort of explosion of activity um, as that longing uh, comes, to it, comes to an end effectively, uh, as those promises, those great promises are starting to be fulfilled. Uh, so the, the gospel uh, writer is a chap called Luke, and uh, we're not going to look into this too much, but he begins his gospel account by, by writing to a, to a man called Theophilus. And what, what Luke wants to do is present what he says, uh, an orderly account of the life and times of, of Jesus Christ, so that, he says to the original reader of this, of this gospel, uh, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So, so what we're reading here, just, just so you know, before we dive into the details, what we're reading here, uh, according to the, the writer of this, Luke, um, is, is a presentation of the facts of, of what actually happened. So according to him, that's as amazing and remarkable and as unique as these events are, he, he is presenting fact. He's not making this up or presenting a myth to sort of communicate some underlying uh, theological truth or some sort of philosophical understanding. This actually happened, according to Luke, and he's checked it out and he's spoken to those who were there. Um, that's what he says at the start. But he's presenting all these things to Theophilus, the original reader, and to us, the church, who come after him. He's presenting these things so that we may have certainty concerning the things we have been taught, so that we may grow in our faith, so that our faith may go deeper, 
in the things in the gospel. And so that's what we see here in this text. The story so far um, is that the angel Gabriel, as we said a few moments ago, has already appeared to Zechariah and, and, and announced the coming of John the Baptist, who himself was going to be a prophet of, of Jesus and was going to prepare the way and prepare the people of, of Palestine and surrounding areas for the coming Messiah. So we've already uh, tackled that last week with Tim. This week, uh, we've just read, had read to us that the angel Gabriel, the same one, the same angel, um, appears then to Mary. Mary, it tells us in the first few verses, um, is a, a, a virgin. By that, we take that um, she's unmarried. Uh, she's therefore most likely a very young uh, teenager. Uh, it doesn't tell us exactly how old she is. Some people think she could be anything from sort of 12 years old up to 16 to 18 years old. We, we just don't know. But traditionally, that would be roughly how old such a, such a young woman would be in Bible times. Very young girl. And it says that, that she was betrothed. To be married, so there, she wasn't officially yet married. Although uh, the way it worked back in uh, Bible times was uh, marriage was almost like a two-stage event. Uh, the first stage, the betrothal, was was like a, a legal promise, if you like. It was, it was uh, you know, promises were, were made in, in, in before witnesses that could not be broken. <clears throat> so effectively, um, they were sort of married effectively um, in many ways. But uh, a period then. Uh, was left usually about a year where the, the, um, the, the bride price effectively was paid by the woman's uh, parents, and, um, or to the woman's parents, should I say. And then they would, uh, the husband would then uh, take his wife into his own home, and then they would sort of set up shop and set up family like that. So it was like a two-stage. Um, we, we, we sort of combine it all in, in one event, marriage. Um, but for them, it was like a two-stage thing. So she's sort of in between the two. She's been betrothed, but they haven't yet uh, moved in and officially um, started their family together. And this is the one, therefore, um, that Gabriel comes to and says to her, Greetings, favored one. You're about to conceive a new baby by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, by the way, verse 31, 33, uh, he is going to be called Jesus and he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. What an announcement, right? Not only is the appearing of the angel Gabriel a startling, astonishing uh, event that caused her to be afraid and, and troubled at what was going on, but the one that she was to give birth to was, according to the angel, to be the long-awaited Messiah, the long-expected Jesus, which means God saves. That's what the, the name Jesus means. He is the one who is going to have the throne of David, the son of David. He is going to be the one who will reign over all of Israel. And furthermore than that, his kingdom will be no end. He will continue on and on. This is the coming of the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. And Mary's response, as we see down in verse 38, she says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's kind of like the beginning of Mission Impossible, isn't it? You know, where she gets the message. This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. And without really um, a moment's notice, she said, Behold, I'm your servant. I, I, I will accept. I will follow. I will obey everything you have told me. So we're going to zone in now, um, spend a few moments thinking about these two women that we see in this narrative. Um, and particularly, we're going to be zoning in in verses 39 through to 45, the sort of second half of the story. 
Mary, it says, young Mary, has just had this wonderful announcement, went with haste to visit her relative Elizabeth. We don't know what sort of a relative they were, a distant cousins or an auntie, um, you know, we're just not sure, but she, they were related somehow or other. And Mary went with haste. We, we get the feeling that she just moments ago had this uh, message from the angel and then immediately, without further ado, packed up her things urgently and ran off. And, 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 and the distance between where uh, Mary was in Nazareth and the hill country in Ju- Judah, uh, where Elizabeth was, uh, scholars reckon between three or four days' journey. It's about 80 miles, um, which would take a long time to cover on foot. But that was okay, because Mary just knew that she had to get to Elizabeth. She had to get to her. Why is that? Why did she have to get there with haste? Why, why did she uh, waste no time to, to make that journey? Well, uh, of course, she just had this amazing revelation from, from the angel Gabriel, um, we don't know this, the, what sort of family Mary was from. Perhaps uh, those around her, her parents, for example, you know, would struggle with the truth, struggle on, to understand uh, what had happened, struggle to, to understand why Mary was pregnant out of, out of official wedlock, which would be deeply shameful, uh, of course, in Bible times. Maybe uh, those around her, those in her community, uh, her, her family, for example, wouldn't, wouldn't have been very spiritual people, maybe not very religious people, maybe they, they just wouldn't understand it. For sure, they would find it very, very hard to accept that she had been impregnated by the Holy Spirit and not by uh, some other third party. And so perhaps that's one of the reasons why she went with haste to visit uh, Elizabeth. But there's more than that too. There's more, because the angel himself announced that Elizabeth... Uh, to, to Mary, Elizabeth in verse 36 uh, announced that she was already six months pregnant. That is Elizabeth, already six months present, uh, uh, pregnant. This is the one who was called barren, the one who couldn't conceive children, who was renowned for being the one who, who, who couldn't bring up a family. She is six months pregnant. Gabriel told her that. Elizabeth herself, you see, had had a a similar encounter, albeit through her husband, Zachariah. She had shared experience with Mary. And so Mary would have thought to herself, I've got to get to her. God has done something remarkable for Elizabeth. He's done something remarkable for me. I've got to get with her. I've got to to compare notes. We've got to talk. I I need someone, said Mary, would have said, uh, who understands where I'm coming from. Someone who doesn't think that what has just happened to me is completely crazy. And so she went with haste. She just needed to get to someone who she could check with, someone to offload to, someone to to speak to who would understand her. And so we see there Mary going with haste to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, we've already sort of met um, in our study last week. Uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah, uh, we read last week, were, according to God, uh, both righteous in his sight. They're they're described by Luke as walking blamelessly in the commands and statutes of the Lord, and yet they were advanced in years. So right here we have this couple. Uh, He was a priest, a couple who were godly. They they walked in the ways of God. They they lived to please God. God for them was their their highest um, treasure. They were wise We might say in today's language, they were solid, they were grounded, they were sound. This is a couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, who are not easily flapped, not easily freaked out. They are experienced, experienced followers of God. They they knew his word. 
And Mary thought to herself, I've got to get alongside Elizabeth. I've got to get to her because she will understand me. Elizabeth has been there. She knows God. She has walked the walk. We need people like this, don't we, in our church that we can go to. People who have, who have been there, who, have, who know God, who have experienced his power at, at work in their lives, who, who have opened up, uh, someone to open up to, someone to share, someone to get your head checked with. We need people like that in our church. So there we have Mary, the one who has just received this amazing announcement of the, the coming of the Holy Spirit to conceive within her the long-awaited Messiah. And then we've had Elizabeth, who herself was six months pregnant. So we're going to look then at their responses, and then hopefully we'll start to see uh, what's going on in this text. What happened? What were their responses when the two came together in this amazing meeting? Well, it tells us in verse 41, (coughs) when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, it says, the baby leapt in her womb. And later on she says in verse 44, when I heard the sound of your greeting, when it came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. You know, this is like a a really important thing actually uh, for us to look at. It's kind of a side uh, step in some ways, but just think about it for a moment. Um, We've got Mary Simply by speaking out, we don't even know if their eyes even met or they saw one another or had much of a chat. Mary just announced a greeting to Elizabeth. And at that moment, the baby within Elizabeth jumped for joy, leapt for joy. How old was that fetus, that that, that child at that time? Well, we read here that it was in the sixth month. So Elizabeth was something like six months pregnant, give or take a few weeks. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit, as we'll see, filled her and the child, and the child leapt for joy. So a six-month-old fetus can be filled with the Spirit and uh, is, is obviously able to, somehow or other, um, you know, be seen by God uh, and is very significant in his eyes. But think about this as well. How, how pregnant do you think Mary was by the time she arrived to see John the Baptist? How pregnant was she? doesn't tell us, of course. But assuming that that uh, she uh, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. At that moment, the angel came to her, or maybe a, a day, or maybe a week later. We don't know for sure. Not long. We're not talking months here. Mary was most likely a few days or a few weeks pregnant. And it was the presence of her and the presence of her embryo, just a few weeks old, just a few millimeter, or a few, maybe a centimeter big ball of cells. And it was the presence of the Messiah as an embryo that caused the baby to leap for joy in in, uh, Elizabeth's womb and caused Elizabeth to be filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in a minute. Isn't that amazing? Such a small thing, and yet that was the Messiah right there. That's that's important for us. That's important for us, especially as we are, you know, it's a different issue, but as we are starting to grapple together as a church about the the, the abortion uh, laws here in this country and uh, does God consider significant uh, an, an embryo, uh, a thing that is only a few weeks old, that it hasn't yet been born. Does God consider that important? Well, I think this story here shows us that not only the six-month-old fetus is important, but one that is only a, a matter of days or even weeks old is significant in the eyes of God. Side issue, but I think it's important to point out. Okay, so at the sound of the, the voice 
of, of Mary. It says, Elizabeth, in verse 41, the sound of her voice, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? This is, this is a woman who already knows God, right? She, 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 it says there she has been walking with God. She's blameless in the sight of God. You know, in some ways, she already sort of has the Holy Spirit, let's say. Um, she has wisdom. She has character. She has maturity, all the fruits of the Spirit. But yet it says there in this sort of moment, this, this, this divine uh, hookup, this divine moment, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. The, you know, she was stirred effectively. She was, uh, she was, she was heated up. It intensified her, her passion and her, uh, her faith and uh, her excitement for God intensified suddenly and instantly and deeply. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit in this context. And what happened when she was filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, it says she made this inspired declaration, this, this loud exclamation, uh, this, this, this sudden pronouncement of truth and blessing upon Mary. Do you also notice as well that there is no way that Elizabeth could have known any of these details that she emits because literally, as far as we can see from the text, it's the sound of Mary's greeting and suddenly this filling of the Holy Spirit and this spontaneous proclamation of, of praise and blessing and truth. This didn't happen, uh, as far as we can tell, after a, a sit-down and a catch-up over a cup of tea and a bit of a natter and then suddenly Elizabeth comes out of all this stuff. This seems to be, again, an instantaneous, sudden filling of the Holy Spirit, which produces praise and wonder and awe and, and, and knowledge. Some people uh, in certain circles call this the word of knowledge, a sudden ability to understand and know something that otherwise you would not have known at that moment. This is what happens when Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, at the sound of Mary's voice and the presence of Mary's unborn child. And we all know who that is. Right, This eruption of praise and blessing. And for Mary, young girl, frightened, worried about what all this could mean, to, have, to walk in and to have this pronouncement, this blessing placed upon you, I would imagine was exactly what Mary needed to hear right there and then. To be confirmed and affirms that what she has heard and the communication that she had with the angel wasn't a, a dream or some freaky thing. She hadn't too much cheese the night before. This actually happened. Elizabeth, before she knew what was going on, was suddenly filled and was able to bless and affirm. And she blessed Mary. You can see the word blessed comes up three times uh, in, the, in the words of Elizabeth in this exchange. She says, um, blessed are you among women, in verse 42, Blessed is the fruit of your womb, in verse 42, and then blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, in verse 45. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Blessed among women. You are, you are favored. You are great. You are great among women. Blessed is the, the fruit of your womb. That is the, ch that, that, the child that is within you. Blessed. Don't forget, only a few days old. Blessed are you for having faith in God's word that you believed that what was spoken to you was from the Lord, wasn't a dream, wasn't the devil, you know, in different clothes. It was from the Lord. It was the angel. Blessed are you for believing in that. Elizabeth says, I can see by the Spirit what you are carrying in you. I can see the role that God has chosen you to play. You are great among women. You are greater than women. You, maybe you are the greatest woman that's ever been. 
You are going to bring the Messiah, the chosen one, the King of kings to birth. How favored you are, Mary. How blessed you are, Mary. How great is your faith in the one who spoke to you. Folks, you can see, can't you? You start to see, hopefully, how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, when fired up by the Holy Spirit, how it produces so much faith and produces so much joy in the one who understands, who gets it, who has been, um, has been revealed to. How much thrill it produces, exhilaration. And what was Mary's response? Well, we'll come to that next week in this, in this sort of uh, song, um, the, the verses that we'll read from 46 onwards. But Mary's response in summary was that she was built up. She was blessed. She was affirmed by Elizabeth. She would have been settled in her calling. She would have been affirmed by this wiser, older relative that, that Mary was not crazy, that she did hear rightly. She, she was affirmed that it wasn't just a dream. This really happened. What a woman Mary was. What remarkable faith she has in God's words. I had an interaction a few months ago with a, a co-worker and uh, someone from the Catholic faith. And uh, <clears throat> we were talking about the virgin birth. And she, she couldn't believe that I, as a Protestant, actually believed in the virgin birth. That she thought that was something uniquely Catholic and that, that, that evangelicals or Protestants don't believe in the virgin birth. But I said to her, and the surprise for her was that we absolutely do believe it. It's there in the Bible. Of course, we believe it. Sometimes, you know, uh, wrongly, uh, Protestants will downplay the role of Mary or rather her, her, her significance here. Um, but what we can see here in this text is that Mary, this young woman, has remarkable faith. And what a great model that she is for us, this simple, humble, believing in God's word, taking it at face value and organizing her life uh, behind it in, in, in faith-filled response. That's what Mary uh, has done for us. By example. So let me just summarize here. The gospel, that is the announcement of God's kingdom coming through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King of Kings. The gospel provokes joy in those who hear it and builds their faith. That's what it does. And that's what we're seeing here in this text. So let's think then for a few moments about how this might apply to us, how this might apply to us as a church. Uh, we've gone through uh, earlier in the year the book of Acts, which was the sort of second volume of Luke's work. Um, Luke is the only gospel, work, uh, sorry, gospel writer uh, to write two volumes of history. And, um, and we saw that the church, according to the scriptures, is to be a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. We saw that week after week after week after week. And, and, and uh, the same writer who, who led us to that conclusion is also teaching us here, I believe, that a healthy, gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission has a lot of Elizabeths among it. And just so you know, guys, I'm not, I'm not specifically referring to, to older women, although Elizabeth clearly was an older, older woman, but a lot of Elizabeth-type figures. We need them. We need them in our church for us to be a healthy church. Some of you sitting here this morning are Elizabeths. What do I mean by that? I mean that you have an ability to see God at work in other people in your church. You can see what he is doing. You're just aware of that. You're sensitive to that. You see God's blessing on them. You see God's work in their lives. 
You, you may even have an acute, sudden awareness of what God is doing in someone else's life within our church. If you are such a person, if you have that sort of insight, and, and by God's grace, we have many like that in our church. We want to have more. Um, you need, we need you, we the church need you to say what you see. I, I hear a lot of times, and it's, it's wonderful, people come to me and encourage me about something someone else has done. And I'm like, that's great, thank you for telling me, but please go and tell that person. Don't, it's wonderful, I, I'm encouraged, but tell that person, go, go to them. Say what you see. If you see the blessing of God on someone else's life or his work in them, in, them in, in, in ordinary and extraordinary ways, go to that person and say what you see. Elizabeth, you see, is a person of character and reputation. She is the go-to person for young Christians, no matter how old they are chronologically, for young Christians to go to. You, she, Elizabeth may even experience the filling of the Holy Spirit to further empower them to, to help others within the church. They may intensify and magnify your own insights into a certain situation in someone's life so that that pers- person may be blessed and affirmed and built up in, in the church. Can you start to see how, how Elizabeths and Elizabeth-type people are such a blessing to the church, especially to, to younger Christians? to those who are, are hearing and, and grappling with, with God's word for the, perhaps for the first time, those who are dealing with life situations that are, that are, are causing them to, you know, to, to just be hit for six, to have Elizabeth within the church to provide support, to deepen and, and intensify the knowledge of what God is doing in their lives. What a gift that is to the church. So if you are an Elizabeth, if you see what God is doing in other people's lives, say what you see. Don't remain silent. What great blessing you could be to other people in the church. But as we've seen here, it's not just one-way traffic. It's not just Elizabeth, uh, you know, blessing Mary and, and, and there's no sort of uh, response for, for Elizabeth whatsoever. That's not the case. It's not one-way traffic. We see here in Elizabeth the light of faith growing strong. Uh, we see here the f- flame uh, burning brighter. We see her faith deepening. She experiences joy. And so, and so when you are used by God to, to bless and affirm the Marys in our church, you yourself will notice that your faith in Jesus will deepen. Your joy in what he is doing in you and, and in the church will increase. You get to see the Messiah Jesus in a fresh light when you act like Elizabeth. Your faith will be filled and deepened as a result of being like Elizabeth in the local church. That is a, a beautiful thing. That's what it means for us to be a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. Some of you are like Elizabeth. Some of you are like Mary's in this text. And now I'm not saying for one moment that we can reproduce the work of Mary or that any of us are going to be carrying the next Messiah. That's certainly not what's going on. But in terms of her, her, her situation and her faith, some of you resemble Mary. You have ideas, you have thoughts, you, you have maybe even callings from God, words from God. You're given a passion, you're given a vision, something he wants you to do, and yet you're not sure what to make of it. And so perhaps uh, when, when God has been calling you somehow or other to go and do something for him in his kingdom that he wants you specifically to do, you have responded by burying that thing, by, by, by putting your head in the sand rather than uh, giving it 
the time to, to develop within you and to, to, to obediently follow Jesus. Uh, maybe you have instead struggled to make sense of what God has been uh, gnawing away in your heart, at, put, you know, tug, tugging on you. There, there, there are some Marys in our church that need the affirmation from an older, uh, experienced believer that they are not crazy, that God has indeed blessed you and put this uh, calling or this passion or this vision into you. Uh, Marys need to have the, fla- the flames fanned into a furnace. Marys need guidance and direction. And so Marys, if you sense God is calling you and yet you're not sure what to do with that or you've buried it or you're struggling to make sense with it, go find yourself an Elizabeth. Go find yourself someone who has been there. Someone who is walking clearly and closely with God. Marys need to go with haste to find Elizabeth's. The big principle here is that it's very hard sometimes to discern what God is saying to us on our own. And so we have this great gift to go and share, to go and find an Elizabeth and have the opportunity to have your faith deepened and your calling sharpened and your joy enhanced. Can you see, folks, how this sort of relationship, when you identify uh, these characters, how that can build the church? The truth is we're probably a mixture of both, aren't we? We may be an Elizabeth to some people. We may be a Mary to others. Sometimes, depending on what season of life you're in, you might need an Elizabeth to guide you and help you and and speak truth to you and, and bring you back to God's word and point you to Jesus. Sometimes we need Elizabeth. Sometimes we need to help the Marys, and you're the Elizabeth. We need to help the younger brother or sister in Jesus. We'll, we'll, but in general, we'll lean to one direction or the other. And so I'll say to you, Elizabeth, if you've identified yourselves as such, and that, that, that's something that God has um, constructed within you. Elizabeth, be available. That's my challenge. Be available. Because we need you. Don't be so busy or appear so busy that people can't talk to you because you're doing a million things. Mary, uh, Elizabeth's, be available. Mary's, be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Be honest about your gifting and calling and passions and even your failures and your struggles. Be honest. Be vulnerable. So if you're an Elizabeth, be available. If you're Mary, be vulnerable. But if you act on those things, if, you, if, we, if we see this interaction at play here and we, 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 we mirror that in our church, that will produce, as we see here, joy and faith. That will stir your affections for Jesus and deepen your faith in him. So as we come to a close and tie this all together, can you, can you see how the Holy Spirit drives this whole thing? How it brings these two women together, how he oversees the situation, how he, uh, how he grants gifts, how he raises up, how he equips, how he empowers. It's not our cleverness. It's not our ministry philosophy or the books that we've read. It is all of him. It is all of God. It is all about him creating and building and sustaining and growing the local church. But you can see also what the result is, can't you? <clears throat> the Holy Spirit does this but he does much more. He ultimately points us to Jesus Christ. And so as our faith deepens 
And as our joy increases, so too will our faith in Christ and our joy in Christ. That's why we at Foundation Church are laboring hard to flesh out what it means to be a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. Let me just end with these two challenges, and we're going to come to prayer in a few moments. Maybe uh, you are in the season of life where you need to ask for more. Ask for more. That's maybe how you need to respond this morning. And no better time to do that than in the season of expectancy and hope and planning for the coming, effectively, uh, the celebration of the coming of the Messiah. You need to ask for more. Maybe uh, you need to humbly ask and expect God to do more and keep asking and keep praying and keep seeking. Maybe you used to do that and you've given up somehow, or maybe you've tried once or twice and God never came through you, uh, through for you, and so therefore you have just stopped and considered that's for other people, not for me. But as we've seen here, and as we saw earlier in the year throughout all of our studies in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit, with the word of God, wants to speak, wants to guide, wants to fill. Ask for more. Ask for more. We can never be overfilled. We can never harm ourselves by asking for more of God. Maybe that's where you are this morning. You need to ask for more of him, especially in this season of expectancy. Ask for more. But my second challenge is this. Maybe you need to allow for more. Allow for more. Because not all of us, perhaps, are as open as we would like to be or as we should be. We don't want to ask for more of God because of different reasons. Perhaps we're just afraid of what might happen if we open up that part of our lives to God and and what he wants to do for us. Or, or, or maybe we're afraid of turning into one of those types of Christians if we ask for more of God. And so we're better off just sort of happy with what we have and that's okay and we're just ticking over and that's okay. Maybe it's fear of what might happen to you. That's why you don't ask for more. Maybe it's pride. I've got this sewn up. I'm good. I don't need any more of God. I'm all right on my own. Perhaps that's an attitude that you, you struggle with and rep- uh, reflect in your, your own life. Whether, whether it's pride or fear, you're holding back from God in some ways. You're, you're even pushing him away in some ways. So you don't want to ask for more. But my challenge to you is to allow for more. Take a fresh look at Christ, particularly in this Advent season, and be open to the Holy Spirit. And take maybe the words of, of Mary as your own prayer. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Who am I, says Elizabeth, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Maybe that should be your prayer. Who am I? I am your servant. Do to me according to your word. Ask for more. Allow for more. Let's pray.